call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 49 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie and my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watched Leos Carrick's 1991 film Les Amants des Pont Neuf, or The Lovers on the Bridge. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. Enjoy! So this episode is 24 hours late, at least. Oh, my God. But we do have a good reason for that. And the reason for that is because Donica got married. I did fucking get married. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I don't feel any different. But I do think that when people say, oh, man, why would you get married? Uh, Well, having just done a wedding. Oh, I think there's loads of good reasons to get married. And you can be cynical about it if you want. But it's just, it's a very nice thing for your relationship just to stand in front of all the, you know, people who you like and admire and friends and family of yours and uh, you say, yeah, I'm going to be with this person. That's where I'll be if you want me anytime soon. It's, it's like genuinely. It's yeah, it's, it, in, in all seriousness, it, it was it was a really nice occasion. You gave a nice, a funny and moving speech. Thank you. For the first time in your life. This is right. Gave a yeah. funny speech. No way, uh, I would thoroughly recommend uh, everybody get married immediately, especially if you've got, I don't know, some residency issues. <laughs> yeah. If you, there's some kind of uh, tax thing that you're trying to circumvent, this any of these, any of these kind of you fiscal issues. You want to continue your life as a serial visitor of saunas. Yes. Um, it helps know. to have a, if, if you are, if you constantly get into street fights and you worry that your fingers are unprotected, it's good to have a ring on there. You know, the way, that thing, that old adage people say about tattoos, um, you know, it'll take you 10 years to decide your first and five minutes to decide your next. I'm already thinking like you si- get rings. signet rings. Yeah. The like, ring suits you. This one ring, uh, it's the one ring that binds them all. That's a nice ring. Yeah, I like it. I'm happy with it. It's it says nice uh, Belen's name on the inside and the date. And also something in Elvish kind of lights up when you throw it in the fire. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> we'll have to test that later on. So, well, anyway, that's enough of your personal life. Let, let us never, ever speak of your wife ever again. Done. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to more important matters. Fuck yes, more important matters. <laughs> I mean, if you've, no- if you've noticed, I've posted twice uh, on Instagram in the last 48 hours. None of them about my wedding. That is true. All- <laughs> you've only been recommending TV shows yeah, to people, v- which is... Vigilant Ted Lasso, that's right. Well done, well done. I am um, So, maybe, I mean, do you want to start talking about one of those things or should we talk about our cinema experience of the movie film that we watched together me oh, you yeah. and enemy of the show john spillane yeah motherfucking dune dune we saw dune dune okay um i'll okay, if i can pop in some general background on this please and- because uh, let's just state this Myself and John knew very, very little about Dune, almost nothing. Mm. And you're a big nerd who you were, you know, I think you co-wrote it. I've been a huge fan of the book for many years and I've read it many times. And unlike something like, let's say, I don't know, 
the Wheel of Time books were going down nerdy territory. Yeah, I have no here. idea what the hell you're uh, talking it, about. It, it gets better every time you read it. And okay. I, I, like, I, um, I feel like it had a huge influence on um, Lord of the Rings because, I mean, it is, sci- it is science fiction set way in the future, but it's really all about intrigue and politics and very, very relevant to nowadays. Um, I, in full seriousness, what originally inspired Frank um, Herbert to write the book was he was writing an article uh, for some magazine or other about people who were planting uh, strategically planting marum grass in deserts to st- to basically affect the landscape and affect mm. change in the future. He thought that that's a very fucking interesting concept all on its own. And then from that sprung forth all the mythology about Dune. Obviously, it's inspired by let's say. Oil and you know yeah, the West's does, relationship uh, with, the, with the Middle East. The, and that yeah, because kind of watching the film, I was like, "This feels very like kind of allegory about the Middle East." Again, I know nothing about the history, but I was like, mm. "This is like the withdrawal from Afghanistan." There you are. Now. There's heavy kind of modern uh, vibes to it, and so there's this whole big mythology that like. So the first time I would have read it, I would have been constantly consulting the appendix. I'm about three quarters of the way through it now and I, this is, I don't need to read the appendixes anymore. I, I know all the information. But which leaves just a kind of a, an interesting thing for me was, okay, so also in the last three weeks I re-watched the disastrous uh, David Lynch, the first um, oh, hack yeah. at this, which is a, a horrible movie. It's terrible. Very awful stuff. Um, I understand, you know, David Lynch probably got a great big fat paycheck from Dino De Laurentiis and just said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, but it's it's horrible because you can feel producers' fingers all over it and everything as well. And, you know, they they take like 10 minutes at the start where they're just, what do you call it when you're, bi- you're telling a story by showing paintings rather than to explain oh, all the mythology? Oh, well, like some kind of weird montage type thing, but just of... Illustrations, yeah, it, like yeah, storyboards. Yeah, 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 storyboarding. Explaining the mythology of the whole universe, like down to the... And that, does, that does not sound very David Lynchian. Exactly. No, 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 I mean, he's completely disowned the film. Right. Um, but it's very much produces fingers like people going, ah, people need to know about this sort of stuff, having no confidence in the material. What I felt now, finally get around to it, I'll give my opinion, you give yours. Yes. What I felt watching Denis Villeneuve's version of it is he made a very ardent and successful attempt at showing not telling. On one or two occasions in it where there's um, expository dialogue, it like, it... it, it it, there was so little expository dialogue that the expository dialogue didn't bother me because I thought there was going to be way more. I just felt they went very much in the direction of we just can't, we don't have time to stop and explain stuff. Now, that this is where that lands me. I enjoyed it immensely. I think anybody who enjoys the books, it's a, rather than being, I remember I read The Green Mile and I hated the film because it's exactly the fucking same as the book. And I just, right. I, I was like, why bother? A successful adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Why, why bother even watching it? You know, you want, I want a little bit of an evolution of the story or something like that. This film, for me, works as a perfect companion to the book, which is not good news for the film because not everyone's fucking read the book. Um, whereas we've spoken about it on this podcast before, whereas The Lord of the Rings successfully just landed the cinematic universe. Right. And, uh, you know... Or Harry Potter even, and I'm not a fan of those books, but you yeah. know they're hugely. I'm not about. I, I like the books. I'm not a fan of the films. So you like the author's views. This is it. I'm fully in her political camp. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so for me, 
enjoyed it immensely, thought it was massively cinematic. People will sniff and say, oh, they could have made a miniseries, but there are sequences in this, in this film that just belong on the big screen. There's no arguing about it. I feel criticisms people will uh, lay at it would be pacing and there's a certain coldness to it. And I would say, to be honest... I mean, look at the director, the writer they've got, and tell me any of his other movies are that different. That's fair. Um, so, yeah, but I like, I would personally love to see the further two movies. At the moment, having only been released in a handful of countries, it's made eight million. We'll fucking see. I doubt it, but I'd like to. The, I, I, going into the film, I thought to, I had a theory that maybe... Um, maybe people will band together and it'll win a bunch of Oscars and they'll be forced to make it, but this isn't going to win anything. Like, uh, I, Well, it might win some technical, technical awards. awards yeah. But personally, for fans of the book, I could not recommend this highly enough. For people going in completely cold, I'll let Andy give their perspective, but I would find it hard to imagine that somebody could just jump right into the world and be as comfortable as I was. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, it's it's kind of cold maybe that's a Denny Villeneuve problem but my initial reaction as soon as we stepped out of the cinema was I said it was very sterile like Mm. that's kind of how I felt it just felt like I don't care about any of the characters in it not even Rebecca Ferguson's character I thought she was the emotional core of the film I I guess Uh, maybe I'm just a big cold cynic but like when you've got a character called Duncan Idaho I mean that's the the that's the author's problem but no human should be called Duncan Idaho. That should not be allowed. Or even an alien. Or an alien-looking human. But he's awesome. Is he? I don't think... Okay, so that character is played by Jason Momoa without a beard. Another thing is he should not be allowed to shave. He looks like Steven Seagal. He you looks, think? Yeah, he's, he's got this pudgy little face. He looks wrong without facial hair. That's an aside. That's not a reflection on the, on the film. That's just personal grooming and did you advice. enjoy his grand fight sequence? Yeah, I thought he was a good fighter, but mm. I was thinking, like, why is the new Steven Seagal fighting? They should have just got Steven Seagal if that's the route that they wanted to go down. I thought Chal- I thought Timothy Chalamet was good. Yes, I, I believed I, him to be a, becoming a man by the end of the I movie. I don't know. I, I saw a lot of negative pushback about him, but like, because he is, he looks like physically weak, but then he's like kind of learning how to use the force or whatever that's called. But yeah, it's yeah. The force. But I, I do, I do find his performance was a bit of a physical evolution from beginning to end. Yeah, which I it was that's perfect to the tone of the book yeah and when he ejaculated into the peach i thought that was uh, it was good that was a good scene and when duncan idaho ate it that was a bit too much that was a step too far that's a reference to another film i haven't seen i haven't seen it and yet i know all about the peach coming shenanigans so you can draw your own conclusions there I, I yeah I I would be interested in seeing this again. I think, like you said, it's something that has to be seen on the big screen. It would be a real shame if people only watch this on HBO Max or from Blockbuster, which is where I would ordinarily get things. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to try and go see this again. For I would sure. consider seeing it again. I'd like to see it in. I'd like to see it in different circumstances because we went opening day on the first screening in your favorite cinema, which is a nice cinema. I mean, the sound is amazing. The screen's good. Mm. But I f- felt slightly trapped because there were so many people there. 
Yeah. I'd kind of like to go to like a choir or screening where I'm the only person, just well, so I can do I'd my own business, my own personal business. Up by an IMAX screen watching this. Unfortunately, there's only dubbed version available. This, in the see, city. this was, no, I mean, this was as close to an IMAX yeah, in a normal fair. cinema that you're going to get. The sound was immense, but I've heard people saying that, so that's clearly just the film has that kind of sound design anyway. But oh, it's something else, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, sound design. To give wow. the to give the other opinion of enemy of the show, John Spillane, he really, I think he liked it less than I did. I was okay with it, and I would be interested to see it again. He found it boring. He said it. He for him, it he thought it was the director's worst film. Wow. Yeah, he thought it was uh, old Denis Villeneuve's worst film, including Maelstrom and Polytechnique and everything. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's that's. <laughs> these are the three different possible opinions that you're allowed to hold about <laughs> Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I think it's worth seeing. Like you say, I hope people see it. I didn't. There are three parts potentially. I thought there was that's only going to be a second part. Well, there's a second part to finish the first book, and then he would like to also adapt Dune Messiah. Is that of the same standard as the first book? Like yes, right. I would say it's the uh, the only one of the follow on books that's as good as the first. I just to go back to what you said of, in terms of like I knew nothing about the universe. I felt like you said it's show don't tell. I felt like the film explained fine what was going on. Hmm. I was never lost. I guess I had absorbed some of the character names over the years without having watched it. I understand that there were some kind of changes they made some changes to the novel in terms of like kind of shrinking character roles or they dropped out a few scenes there's one scene in particular that i of all the scenes from the book that they dropped that i i would like to see maybe as a as an extra sometime or like on a director's cut appended where um they host a dinner of like the remaining nobility on Mm -hmm. on arrakis after the harkonnens have left so like dukes and so forth by from various places and Duke Leto is uh, trying to placate them while also give his respect to the to the Fremen who are there because really he wants to weaponize the Fremen, which is his whole plan. And it's just it's just a very very interesting scene in the book. And I thought I I like it's one where you're reading it and it would have just been a a nice little change of pace in the middle of it because one thing. And I understand, like, it's quite a long film as it is. Yeah. Well, and it's it was quite like slow as it is as Two well. and a half hours? Yeah, yeah. And it is quite slow as it I is don't, as well. I, I never, it never dragged for me. There are sequences around the, from about the midway point where it kind of steps up. There's a huge action sequence, which is really, really beautiful, really well shot, reminiscent of some of Villeneuve's other work. Incredible, the attack scene. Absolutely incredible. That fucking blew me away. Yeah. And there's certainly, like, the design in the film as well is next level shit well how what i mean the the budget was quite 165 million right? it's not it's not cheap um the guild ships you know the deep space ships and yeah. then a little like mm. a freighter will come out of the middle of it and that's the thing as well i love like david lynch's film goes to great pains to explain how the guild guys are they're deformed because they're addicted to spice mm-hmm they're like um because spice gives great uh, prescience the more you eat it and they can navigate space like that and like you know those guys that came out of the ship with the weird helmets and you couldn't see their faces yeah that's what those were there's like spice addicts though yeah well they're the the guild manage interstellar travel and it's secret technology yeah, I, I already stopped caring this <laughs> is way too much fair enough fair enough it's basically like for me it was kind of like uh, i was just like okay it's dark star wars i get it it's like star wars but people are more serious and that's fine. I want that because, you know, 
the past the last three Star Wars films were not good. I think you could say, mm. and uh, yeah, they uh, some a bit, a bit a bit darker, a bit harder sci-fi. That's what we got here. So overall, it's I mean, people should see it in the cinema. Definitely, that would be my takeaway. Please do. Please let it make enough money so I can see yeah. the second one. Yeah, and then in ten years we'll get a second film. Well, Villeneuve is already like uh, on the pulpit saying he's ready to sh- start shooting next year. Right. They have the script written. He says, "Get the get the thumbs up from Warner Brothers, and they'll start." Like the concepts are designed and everything. He's really uh, he's really taking a punt at this one. I, that's the thing is as well. That's really nice to see because you know obviously I keep up with a lot of film journalism and stuff, and there's so many directors that fa- fair enough, and directors I admire as well that take the one for me, one for them kind of approach. Mm-hmm. I think Denis Villeneuve just wants to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. I Like, all of his uh, films are so charismatic to his style. Even something like, for example, which, in terms of what he does, is slightly out of his normal wheelhouse. Something like Sicario is just mm. so uh, brutal. I mean, that that's another film that's very sterile. Like, they all, as you yeah, said, so there's two, yeah, like, all. Prisoners, Ansondi, yeah. My probably least favourite of the films that I've I've seen of his is uh, probably Arrival, because I do feel that film is really cold. We saw that in the cinema together, That's I remember, right, yeah. here in Barcelona. Yeah, I have, I've never rewatched that. I was thinking about it. It's a film that I would always say, like, oh, that's great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great, but I've never wanted to rewatch it, so maybe there is something to that. Any road... Yeah, that's fucking go Dune. see Dune. Go watch Dune. Dune, Dune it. Dune um, it. Yes. Uh, besides that, I would just like to give a couple of uh, wee shout outs. Go on to, then. To, uh, yeah. Well, on the TV right now, really enjoying Ted Lasso. Their latest episode is very much a direct tribute to um, the Martin Scorsese film based at night in New York. What's it called? After, after Hours. Hours. Which After Hours was one of my toss picks that's in right, a previous yeah. episode, which lost. So I'll never watch After Hours. So I think I should never watch this episode of Ted Lasso. <laughs> well, it's Beard just skip After it. Hours. It's just Coach Beard right. immediately after the big loss to Tottenham last right. week, just wandering around London and getting into shenanigans. Oh, that sounds fun. I want to watch that. Really I apologize good. for not having watched it. It's really, really it. good. Um, I'm also massively enjoying the um, BBC murder mystery set on a submarine vigil. Uh, which I can recommend highly enough. I think that's the best thing on TV at the moment. Um, it's got old Martin Comston in it again, the yeah, Scottish I mean, hero. I have to say, I mean, fair enough, because everybody has to say, uh, stay at home this year, and I know this is a film podcast, but it has been some year for TV. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love the way you said that. That was, that was very, also, um, very eloquent. I had wanted, because I enjoyed the film for this week so much, I had wanted to watch a little bit more of our big man... Um, Whose name? Leo's Carax. Leo's Carax. Um, but uh, I like yeah. that your brain has failed after your wedding. But yeah, uh, I didn't have so much t- time to spare this week. But I have. I saw Holy Motors years ago. Did you watch anything else this week? I did. I didn't watch any. I was. I had all these grand plans of watching all Leo's Carax's uh, films. We can. We'll go through and talk about them a little bit in mm. a second. Because uh, I can give you some background on some of them. I've only seen one of them, <laughs> and that was this week's film. But. The other thing I watched this week was Saint Maud. I finally got around to watching oh, Saint Maud. Go on. Uh, yeah, so it's a 2019 uh, film from Rose Glass. It's her debut horror film about a nurse who's suffering the effects of PTSD from a, a rather nasty chest compression 
incident and she becomes religious and starts to hallucinate with rather negative consequences. I thought it was excellent. Love it. I thought it was a great film. Uh, Morfid, Morf, Morfid Clark, uh, who plays uh, Maud, I thought was excellent. It's a it's quite a quiet film. It's it's a slow burn of a horror film that builds up to two key moments. No spoilers. Yes, but there are two moments where I shat myself. Yeah, you'll go fuck, fuck. In hell. fuck me. Like, I yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. shat my pants. I screamed like uh, a little girl. And, uh, yeah, the final frames of the film, like the last second of the film is, is worth it, is worth the whole thing. Um, I saw people crit- I saw some people criticizing it for the thing, for these things. Well, a couple of things that I thought were great. Number one was like, it humanizes someone, the, the main character who's going through a kind of religious experience related to her PTSD, that you see her also be humanized at certain points when she reverts to her previous life. She kind of like goes back to carousing and drinking and interacting with old characters in a way that you don't normally see because when someone's had a kind of psychotic break, Mm. they tend to just be on that path for the rest of the film. They're like, they never revert back. So you saw someone kind of questioning themselves at the same time, which I thought was really interesting. Again, it's not something that you usually see in these type of films. Yeah, I mean, it's like it uncharacteristically for a horror film I suppose it's just a great character piece yeah like it's really intimate to this character yeah and she's brilliant you know what's the name of the leader Morf- Morfid Morfid Clark I, don't I know mean she's yeah I expect she'll be doing a lot more things and that was a, it's a first time it's yeah. a debut film for, for the director Rose, too. Rose Glass yeah I saw that Mark Kermode uh, said it was his favourite film of the year so not the well yeah female led horror directed by a lady that's, that's very much his that's wheelhouse right up his um, but yeah, wow! I was like, I saw that in the cinema, and I've seen it once since again, and uh, it was just and plus as well, it's the kind of thing, film you can watch multiple times because it's eighty minutes. Yeah, it's exceptionally short, or as I like to call it, the correct length. There we are. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's mm-hmm. all. That's what I watched this week, and uh, yeah, highly recommend the old Saint Maud. Butcher, you also watched. Uh, Le Gémeaux de Pont-Neuf. Yeah, which I thought was Lovers on Bridge 9, but apparently Pont-Neuf means new bridge, and not actually oh, it's really? not Bridge 9. Yeah, because that's, that's the new bridge. Anyway, going back to old uh, Leos Carax, how much do you know about him? Okay, well, I... First of all... He's a man. I, <laughs> I became familiar with um, one of the movement of which he was a figurehead, Cine de Luc, from Mark Cousins' story of film the 15 hour documentary that he made whoa um well it's a you know what i like what episode. i liked about this <laughs> movement is just a very beautiful movement <laughs> so it's in my my mark cousins it, you do a very good mark, yeah, uh, mark cousins um yeah and that that was also where i first saw um that the centerpiece sequence of the film on, um, I believe it's Bastille Day, is it? Yes, the fireworks are going off. It, yeah, mu- yeah. it must be Bastille Day. They're dancing on a, the Pont Neuf reconstructed bridge. And then they also showed um, a couple of motorbike chases from a couple of other films called Diva and Subway. Right, those, so those are by... Which I saw. Right, those one, uh, Diva's by Jean-Jacques Benex mm. and uh, Subway's by Luc, Luc Besson. Besson. So those yeah. are the three Cine de Luc guys. 
And uh, so I, wa- I watched Steve and Subway and didn't, never got around to this, obviously, till now. And I did really like them, and I just thought it was very interesting as a concept. And I also think it had a massive influence on um, movie making in general. I was mm-hmm. thinking about this having watched. Because <laughs> one interesting thing about uh, um, Lovers on the Bridge, let's call it, uh, so I don't have to do my accent. First of all, the whole thing with Cine de Look is style over substance. Right. The, um, and it was kind of a criticism leveled at them, and then it was something that was reveled in. Um, and the thing is, is like you might think that there is substance somewhere in Lovers on the Bridge, but you'll get to a point where you're like, okay, no, this is just this is just crazy. Uh, like this story, you know what I mean? The way it works out in the end. But I I feel like for the certain spectacles there are throughout, it's all sort of worth it. And it made me actually think of if you ever listen to um, Christopher McCarry interviewed about the way he makes Mission Impossible films. Yeah, I have. Is they just sew together spectacle and work out a story yeah. how they can. Which is pure cine du look. That's what they. That's what these guys did. Luke mm-hmm. Besson st- is still doing that. He'll just imagine a sequence. Says, "I want that somewhere." Yeah, I've heard like st- like Steven Spielberg. That's how he pretty much constructed um, the likes of uh, Ready Player One, for example. Right. So th- that kind of filmmaking, as far as I know, eventually became something methodical to those guys. And if you read the story of how Leos Carex made Lovers on the Bridge, it was just chaotic. Like it Yeah, was... it, seemed, uh, it seemed rather mad. But besides this, I have seen Holy Motors. I saw that years ago, and I did really, really like it, although it's um, ten times more bizarre than Lovers on the Bridge. And what about you? Uh, I've seen the Lovers on the Bridge, but going back through Leos Carex's filmography, I can give you a bit of background on some of the other films and how they how they relate to Lovers on the Bridge, because Carex's first film was Boy Meets Girl in 1984, starring Denis Lavon. So it was the first of three films in which Lavon played a character called Alex. Um, so I'm huh. assuming that he was perhaps like a kind of surrogate for the director and some of these things. I don't know if like uh, Leos Carex... I've watched a few Leos Carex interviews. I also watched a making of featurette for Lovers on, on the Bridge in French, which I'll, I'll stick in the, in the show notes. There's some... Are you, there subtitles? You, yeah, you get like you get French subtitles <laughs> if you can understand French. You give it a shot, but even the making of thing is worth just having a look at for the imagery because it shows you how they constructed the set for Lovers on the Bridge, mm. and it's insane. It's absolutely massive. It was built down in the south of France, not far from where they shot Wages of Fear. Actually, it's down there. Okay, yeah, Near no, because. As the story goes, what is it? Uh, Denis Levant uh, broke his leg, and they their permission to film on the actual ninth bridge uh, ran out. And new bridge, new bridge ran out, and then that's why they had to abscond and just yeah build another bridge and also the fronts of Parisian buildings. It's down, ma- It's uh, unbelievable. It's up the side of this river in the south of France. It's it's really really impressive. So anyway, yeah, this film, the first film, Boy Meets Girl, it's got Denis Levant playing character of Alex, and the film tells the story of a young man in a relationship with a suicidal woman, which pretty much tells you the area in which Carax has operated throughout his career. That tends to be the kind of way of it. There's mm. someone doomed romance. Uh, it also began Carax's relationship with cinematographer Jean-Yves Escoffier, who went on to work with Carax on his next two films before heading to Hollywood where he was the cinematographer on Goodwill Hunting and oh. Rounders oh. before dying of a heart attack in 2003. Oh. I like the way Goodwill Hunting is shot. Yeah, it's nice. You like apples? No. Me neither. So, uh, Carrick's next film was Mauvais Sang, a.k.a. Bad Blood, a.k.a. The Night is Young, 
from 1986. Have you, are you familiar with this one at all? I looked I've at the synopsis. It. it looks quite interesting. It's uh, it's got Denny Levant and uh, Juliette Binoche. So it was the first time that the two oh, okay. stars of Lovers on the Bridge had worked together, and it was in Carax's second film. And it also stars a young Julie Derby as well. And uh, From Before Fame. That's right. That was the first Before film, Before Fame. Uh, the synopsis is this. In the Paris of the not-too-distant future, a mysterious disease named STBO is killing people who make love without emotional involvement. You'd be okay. <laughs> You'd still be alive. I'd be dead. I'd be fucking dead. Long dead. <laughs> Uh, yeah. How, I mean, that just sounds like the most French film synopsis ever. Like, uh, I think it sounds like a bunch of shit. Carax, of everything I've seen him do, does have a lightness of touch about him. Um, do, like, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Mm. And, okay, something like that could maybe work if it wasn't so po-faced, you know? When mm. I hear heavily leaned upon metaphors like that in the, in story structures, it automatically makes me think of something like... Uh, Let's see, uh, mother, for example. Yes, that would be a concern of mine. Mm. I think we we were talking about that the other day when we saw Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About how we both really disliked Darren Aronofsky's mother. Yeah, and, I mean, no, is that I don't know his mother. I mean, the film mother, <laughs> mother, mother exclamation mark. I kind of dislike her too, just for making Darren Aronofsky. That's he not made that fair. Movie. Come on, Requiem for a Dream. Come on, I don't now. like Requiem for now. a Dream. I've well, told you that. Well, that's fine. You're the wrong. wrestler sure. uh, and the fountain. I'll yes. take those. Yeah. What about Pie? Pie's good. Pie's good, yeah. Anyway. Nice. Anyways, the next film was Lovers on the Bridge in 1991. We'll come back to that one, obviously, because it's this week's film. After that, he made Paula X in 1999. You familiar with that at all? No. It's a Herman Melville, or it's an adaptation of a Herman Melville novel, Pierre or the Ambiguities, basically about a guy who shags his long-lost sister. Hmm. The, the most French of all stories. Sounds pretty French, all it's right. It's very French. The film title is an acronym of the French title of the novel, Pierre ou les Ambiguités, plus the Roman numeral X, indicating the 10th draft version of the script that was used to make the film. How very postmodern of yeah, <laughs> Is that right? not just the wankiest? <laughs> yeah, 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 of all yeah. the wanky things that we've yeah, said yeah, over yeah. the course of this podcast, that's got to rank up there. Yeah, that's well, a Janine <laughs> Garofalo-type move, in my opinion. The, the, uh, what, what interested me about this film, I haven't seen it yet. It looks like it's, uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite pornographic. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, it's, uh, it, it has unsimulated sex scenes in it. So you've got that. If you're a fan of that, you can, you can enjoy this. The film stars Guillaume Depardieu and Yekaterina Golubeva, who both died in the decade or so following the film's release. Ooh, spooky. The Curse of the Doors. Yeah, the, the, the Curse of Paula X. Ooh. Guillaume Depardieu, son of Gerard, fell off a motorbike in 1995 and injured his knee, and he didn't, like, clean it properly. It got infected and was amputated in 2003. Oh, my God. And then his health never recovered, and he died in 2008, age 37. Oh, my God. Annie was Jared Depardieu's son. Which so, I mean... Yeah, that's pretty bad, too. Golubeva, a frequent Claire Denis collaborator, committed suicide in 2011, age 44, leaving behind a daughter she was raising with Leos Carax. Oh, wow. So that's there you sad. Go. Yeah, so Paula X, not a fun time, unless you're into sister fucking, in which case... When did, when did she take her own life? 2011. Okay. So right before, Leo's right before Holy Motors, yeah. yeah, 
in 2012. Now, which is a bizarrely star-studded film. I haven't film. seen this. You have. Yes. It's got. I know it's got Ava Mendes and Kylie Minogue in it. Ky- yes. Kylie Minogue. Uh, I think there's some other big names in that cast as well. Uh, well, Denny Levant stars. Mm. This was Denny Levant uh, returning to work with Leos Carax after they fell out during the making of The oh, Lovers nice. on the Bridge. Oh, did they fall out then? Yeah, they fell out over the horrible conditions. As you said, uh, Levant was injured during production and was not best pleased with old Mr. Carax. There's no one else of real note. There's uh, Edith, Edith Scobb. Oh, fair enough. I and she was, uh, her role things. was cut out of Lovers on the Bridge. And then Michel Piccoli, who was in Mauvais Son. My memory of Holy Motors uh, is uh, as thus. I remember I remember watching it. it and it, people have often given me uh, this counter-criticism in the past when I've said certain films are shit. They said, oh, you just kind of have to sit back and let it happen to you. Because uh, you won't be, it's not an easy one to follow. Like people said that about Tenant and whatever, and you know they said it for, to me for years about Mulholland Drive. And actually, in the case of Mulholland Drive, no, I think you need to watch it a number of times and figure out what the fuck is going right. on. Is the is the key there? But anyway, in the case of Holy Motors, like it's just it's bizarre. It's very funny, but it's just crazy. It's a crazy, crazy movie, but on purpose. And it's the sort of thing that if you just kind of just say, okay, whatever. I remember it to be being quite enjoyable. There's a very enjoyable sequence where Denis Levan like just eats a bunch of flowers, and I, I can't, like it's just bizarre and funny. And with what it, if I remember correctly, the plot, he is he's kind driving of, around in a car. He's an actor or something. He is well, he's a driver and an actor, right? And he's driving around to various acting missions, so he becomes many different like a, characters, kind of acting assassin. Something like that. He becomes many different characters throughout the film, and you know, hops into into and out of different people's lives while just acting differently. Does he shag like, his if you sister? Look at the, the the amount of people he plays in the film, it's like like an Eddie Murphy joint. Yeah, or I saw. Yeah, he play he plays Big Mama. That's the first character. No, he's uh, he's uh, credited as Mister Oscar the Beggar, motion capture actor Monsieur Meld Meld. Father, the accordionist, the killer, the killed, the dying, the man in the foyer. Spoilers. I mean, it, we're, we're, it seems like we're going to soon get to talk about it, but I, I, I remember enjoying this a bit, and given how much I enjoyed Lovers on the Bridge, I, I, like, I think this will be the, this will be the first thing I check out before I go to the rest of Leos Carrick's stuff because well, I want to watch of, it again. The rest of Leos Carrick's stuff, apart from the ones that we've mentioned, is the film which is in the cinema right now, which is Annette, yes, starring right. Adam Driver and uh, Marion Cot- Marion Cotillard. Yes, that's Cot- right. Cotillard. And, of course, uh, written, or co-written, at least, uh, with the band Sparks. It's a ah, musical. This you don't know that? town ain't big enough for the both of us. I knew it was a musical, a musical. Mm. I've they seen pieces songs, of it. Yeah. All right, well, that might be worth watching. It looks quite dark. It looks like a dark musical. Yeah, I've heard a couple of the songs, and I don't know if you know much about I'm the band Adam Sparks. Adam Driver. Is that one of the songs? Well, they're just catchy as fuck, yeah, Sparks songs nice. in general. I will watch it. I'm not going to go to the cinema. It's already on Blockbuster. So if you want to say, fuck you, old Leos Carax, and get it there. I've actually got my Blu-ray already. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually, I made a Blu-ray of it. Nice. Yeah, out of ham. <laughs> I mean, you're in the right place for it. I am. It's a Spanish Blu-ray. 
Uh, yeah, I, it looks interesting. Uh, I've the it seems like the reception is a little lukewarm. I think people have said like huh? or in French they kind of went quoi. I'll tell you what. Like, I mean, I would like to watch that. I would like to watch Holy Motors again. I, I'll, I'll watch a few other things. I wish of Leo, I had more Leo's time. Carrots. But I, I think I would be. I would find it very difficult to believe, having watched it. It, Lovers on the Bridge just has the feeling of someone's magnum opus. Like, this is his big film. I would say so. Yeah, he yeah. had two run-up attempts, and then boom, third film of Denis Levant playing a guy called Alex, and nailed it. Um, because it is... Okay, I, probably there's, <laughs> would be, there's a few things that kind of bugged me about, particularly like the last five minutes. But um, for most of it, I was just enthralled. And it really does... I thought it was excellent. I really, really enjoyed the film. I was quite surprised. I did. I found it hard work just because it's quite emotionally draining. It's not... A lot of it's not fun. It's not fun. No. I mean, they're, they're doing fun things, but they're two alcoholics on a bridge. It's, uh, it's sad well, to me. It starts with such a grim sequence yeah. that, that had to have been filmed in a real place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, can, we can get to that when mm. we... Because the, the, the plot synop... There are no plot synopses for this film online. There's n- in any language. I couldn't even find one in French. Uh, we can just talk, hash well, it out what ourselves what I've got, anyway. What I've done instead is I've, I've written a, 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 like a couple of keywords that each scene which we we can then flesh out together but yeah you've mentioned about lovers on the bridge it was it, it, the production was shut down numerous times because mm. they kept running out make, of money right? yeah yeah they they only they were allowed to film for 2 weeks or approximately 2 weeks in paris uh, on that bridge the bridge is in a very very central location it, it uh, connects the centre ile which is the little island that's got notre dame on it with, um, well, you've got all kinds of kind of famous landmarks right there next to the Seine. Um, so, yeah, they did that. They also built this set down in the south of the country, which fell into disrepair. During one of the shutdowns, the only person guarding this massive fucking set was one security guard. And, Boy, uh, and yeah, people so you, just you, got in and fucked with it. Well, I think the weather conditions fucked up. I don't think the security guard would have done much about it, to be fair, if he could punch rain or something. That would have helped, but yeah, it's uh, what was it that drew your attention to this film? How did this become uh, a choice for you? I mean, you 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 were the one who threw out the this criteria of boring, boring French films, pretentious French films. Um, and this is not boring. There are many. Is pretentious. There are many um, pretentious French films on my list uh, to watch, and just this one is is the one that popped in on the day. I will say just. For years since watching that episode of the story of film, like because they show they they they, they show that first uh, part of them dancing along the bridge with all the fireworks just blasting the place, and I remember seeing that in the story of film and just it just burned in my brain. I was just like, that is spectacular, and that, like it's a great example of what Cindy de Luc was about because. You, you you almost don't need the story outside that sequence. That sequence is amazing. How familiar are you with Besson and Jean-Jacques Benex? How do you mean? Well, like I've watched I've watched a lot of Luc Besson films Me too. like over the years. I've never really considered I never thought about the Cine de Luc movement. I was just I was like, I like Luc Besson films. Well it's kind of, it's a it's until I stopped liking Luc Besson films at a certain point because they became shy. Yes, they did become shite. Now he's reliably shite. Yes. Um, uh, yes. But at one point he was reliably right, good and stylish. Right, like the 80s to mid-90s. 
Yeah, the likes of uh, Nikita. Um, I never watched that weird one about diving he has. What's that called? Uh, Big Blue. Yeah, with, I've heard um, it's good. Yeah, I've, I seem to remember watching that a long, long time ago. It's got Jean Reno in it, among other people. But, like, Leon is... If you just read it up a little bit of what Cine de Look is, it's just, yeah, intense focus on style over substance. I like. I think Leon... Like, to me, I always think of, it like, examples like, okay, with fucking something like jazz i'm not a few i'm not a big fan of jazz but jazz had a great effect on what music can do like right. a sprinkling of it and then i feel like there is substance to leon but it's all above anything it's cool it is cool as hell it's just it's fucking Gary Oldman so cool and then you know mad. that went on to like stuff like um fifth element yeah and but i mean even with other directors the likes of like desperado the right. um, robert rodriguez film mm-hmm. that's above all else let's make it yeah. cool we've got to make a fucking cool movie yeah and yeah luke besson has definitely lost it a bit over the years but he's got some some classics in my yeah, eyes yeah, yeah. fifth element i think is just a, what how much fun is the fifth element also i feel like he was the he was the first person to truly notice how amazing gary oldman is absolutely I want to watch that again. I want to watch Nikita. I went to Blockbuster the other day and got a copy of that. And who's your other uh, Cine de Look fellow? What's his uh, name? Ben X. Jean-Jacques so I've only ben X. seen Diva. So John, John and Jacques, it's good. The only Jean-Jacques Ben X film I've seen is Betty Blue. Oh, that's the that's the a real one starring Beatrice Dahl as uh, a crazy lady. That's a uh, sexy time movie, right? Yeah, the- with Jean Jean Hughes Anglade, and um, basically she's. A lady with bipolar, kind of by by Amy Poehler, and uh, <laughs> she. It's uh, it's just one of those films from the mid eighties where you're like, God, French women are hot and crazy. <laughs> just, I, actually, I would say watch. I'd say watching watching this film to this time, even you know, like from like a modern perspective, I was watching it going like, Oh, that's that's a bit off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a bit off. Uh, Did yeah, you grabbing yeah, yeah. a woman and jumping into the River Seine to kill yourself? Come on, no. Yeah. As far as with those boys, the Cine de Luc boys, it seems to have been, from what I le- read up, it, w- it wasn't like, you know, I mean, the French New Wave was an actual movement. People put heads together and said, let's make movies like this. Same with the German New Wave and all of that shit. This was just like a label that was slapped on this bunch of critics at the time, and I suppose these would have been the first, uh, like, um, these filmmakers were particularly trying to work in opposition to the actual French New Wave. So then they were, like, given something else, like, as a label. They were, you know... I watched a short YouTube video. I'll, I'll put all my links into the show notes, mm. but I watched a very short video about Cine de Luc, so it, it's, you, you can watch it, anyone. It's six minutes long, and it's in English. But it was, it was making the connection between that style of cinema and like the hong kong cinema of the late 1980s sure yeah i can see that and it's kind of like putting those, john woo's yeah, kind yeah, of crack. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like john john woo films and saying that there's like a similar style over substance element there but but yeah lovers on the bridge the lovers on the bridge i heartily enjoyed it i thought it was fantastic maybe we can get into the cast yes there's only three people to talk about it's a three-hander yeah. and they're all good they're all good, but uh, two of them have more substantial roles than the other guy. We've got old Denny Levant, Denny Lavon as Alex. This character has no background. No. We don't know anything about him. So it just, 
again feels like he's you know he's again he's called Alex like uh Leo's well I mean Tarex. there is a certain type of uh there's a certain type like he's got that um an inverted version of um sort of Steve McQueen magnetism in that there's certain roles that are so cool that Steve McQueen could only have played them and in a similar way there are some roles that are just so odd and creepy that, he's a yeah. That only Denny Levan is is your man. He's a he's an excellent physical actor. By the way, I should point yes. out that Leos Carax's his real name is actually Alex. That's why I think it's uh, important that yeah, these yeah, characters right. are it, called it, Alex. His name was his full his real name's Alex Christophe Dupont, and Leos Carax is an anagram of Alex Oscar. Yeah, he changed it because he didn't want to have a he didn't want his public persona to be so re- like so right, married to, to his actual yeah. real life yeah, yeah yeah so denny levant is an excellent physical performer he trained in Amazing. pantomime and circus as a as a teen and he uses that to great effect in this film he was actually cast uh by harmony corinne as a charlie chaplin impersonator in a film a film in which he co-starred with uh, Werner herzog nice when uh, leos carax was talking about casting denny levant and holy motors he said that the reason he cast Levant for that film is because the only other people he would have cast are dead. He listed people like Charlie Chaplin. He listed like uh, Peter Laurie. Well, he does have a certain type of unique charisma. Right. That's, that's his alone. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, you mentioned the physical performer. Uh, I mean, the, the sequence where he does fire breathing in this yeah. film is like... Of the same ilk as like uh, Brody training horses in um, The Rider. It's just like... Brady. Brady Brady Jandro. It's just wow. Apparently, uh, Denny Levon learned fire breathing specifically for this film. When he's doing it, he does look like a desperate, crazy homeless guy. He does. Um, But it's it's beautiful. I wonder how he sounds in French. What I mean is like he's a great physical performer, but he hasn't gone on to have... I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's gonna have the most amazing of careers outside of that. He's appeared in a few Hollywood things. He doesn't speak English, but he has given some like phonetic performances over the years. He's got good bad guy face. He does. He's quite po- he's quite kind of pockmarked sort of mm. face that makes him look like a baddie. Of course, this is his second appearance on the podcast. That's right. Because he was Galoop in uh, Beau Travail. Yes, indeed, where he also didn't say much. I, this was one of the most whispered films I've ever seen. He he barely speaks. He's mm. I mean, he's clearly a very damaged individual. I, another performance of his I would recommend checking out, and I'll link to this in the show notes, is the video for Uncle's Rabbit in Your Headlights. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's brilliant. Yeah, which is directed by Jonathan with, Glazer. With um, Tom York. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, t- yeah. Tom York does the vocals on the track, but the video is Denny Levant walking through a tunnel, I presume, in Paris. And done by Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Glazer, and it looks heavily influenced by Lovers on the Bridge, watching it in retrospect. But yeah, it's great work from Jonathan Glazer, director of Under the Skin, Sexy mm, Beast. Other cast Earth. member, much less weird looking, and as a result has been in some major Hollywood stuff. Juliette Binoche yeah, yeah. as Michelle. This is her second podcast appearance as well on Call It Friendo. What was her first? Oh, I've clean forgot. She I- was in uh, High Life. She's Dr. Dibbs. Oh, yeah! Oh, why'd you remind me of that? The old spunk-loving Dr. Dibbs. Oh, God, that's such a gross film. 
She's a daughter of a, a French father and Polish mother. She came to prominence in films such as the Three Colors trilogy. That's right, yeah. The English Patient, for which he won an Oscar. I'm, I always, I, I was always shocked by how much pushback there was against The English Patient of people saying it's boring. I, I genuinely, the, the I really, patient. really yeah, love yeah. that film. I don't think it's boring at all. I think Anthony Minghella made very long, very dense, very beautiful, very interesting, and very enjoyable yeah. films. I like to call him Anthony Minghella. There you are now. But I mean, still, we're often saying like you know, five stars under ninety minutes. I have a feeling like if you if you saw an anti Minghella film, and I know he's dead now, obviously, but yeah. if you saw an anti Minghella film like ninety minutes, you'd be like, oh, what? Yeah. What happened? No, no, they cut half of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and no, uh, the other Juliette Binoche film that she uh, received significant acclaim for was Chocolat, for she was also Oscar nominated for. Yeah, not a fan of that, but still, whatever. In February 2019, during a press conference at the Berlin International Film Festival, Binoche stated. Harvey Weinstein was a great producer, and we shouldn't forget, even though it has been difficult for some directors and actors, and especially actresses. Binoche also stated, I, wow. almost, I almost want to say peace to his mind and heart, that's all. I'm trying to put my feet in his shoes. He's had enough, I think. A lot of people have expressed themselves. Now justice has to do its work. Wow. Okay, so she's never working again, is she? She's based AF. She's uh yeah. So there I you mean, go. Julie Binoche. It's quite a cancelled. I, I mean, she's also French. Yeah, yeah, she's also French, but it just like it does take I don't know how I feel about what she said or whether I I'm not going to think about it now, but I mean, one thing for sure about what, about that is God damn, that takes a set of balls, especially as a working <laughs> actor. Like, fucking hell. Yeah, well, she was at the Berlin International Film Festival at the time. She probably thought, you know, it's Europe, safe ground. Uh, what, she said this in an interview or something? Uh, she said it uh, during a press conference. Wow. And did people gasp? Uh, they gave her a standing ovation and carried her out of the building <laughs> on their shoulders, <laughs> shouting, Harvey, Harvey. <laughs> and they stormed the prison in the US and broke him out. And now he's free. Now he's the king of Berlin. Uh, on the same theme, a.k.a. Germany, the, the last actor in the film was Klaus Michael Gruber as Hans. Hans? Yeah, he's quite a big weird yoke, isn't he? He he looks like a homeless dude. Hey Hans, no bullet. And uh yeah, Klaus Klaus Michael Gruber was a very respected German opera and theatre director. Hmm. That's it. He basically acted in nothing else. He was just very, very highly respected. I think he maybe got the job because of how he looks, which is like a disheveled homeless man. Yeah, he looks like I mean He looks like he's seen some shit. Some German theatre and opera shit. He looks like he's got about a cubic centimeter of liver left. Like. Yeah, he looks like he's been. He looks like he's done one or two operas in his time. Hey, oh, mm -hmm. don't know what that means. No, no, me neither. But he, um, he did. He did alcohol and drugs. He done alcohol. He, he injected four vodkas and drank an ecstasy tablet. But they all work well together. All these fuckers. Mm, yeah. So it's an interesting. Ca That's basically the cast. No one else is of any note whatsoever because they're kind of extras in the story. We've got Alex, the main character, like we said, no background. Well, then over the course of the film, we learn about the backgrounds of Michelle and Hans and how they all play yeah. out and interconnect with each other. So moving into the plot, I'm just going to give you some 
sentences, <laughs> some key words, and we can build around them. So the yeah, first yeah. thing I've said is homeless, bus, and jail. There we are now. I wasn't sure exactly what was happening here. We start with Denny Levant's Alex walking through the streets and then rubbing his head on the concrete, which did not look very nice. For me, well, this, particularly that that exact opening before they end up in the shelter and everything, that was surely tacked on because he broke his leg and they wanted to continue shooting. Yeah, so in the scene... That's, a weird, that's an observation that actually... Um, Roger Ebert made is like the the production was delayed because he broke his leg and yet he's like limping around for most of the film yeah. anyway so why was it delayed um but yeah in the scene basically what he lies down and a bus a car runs a car over his runs foot, over his, foot. his ankle in what's it's a bit it's it's fairly grim to see it it is but it does mm. it's not as horrifying as you would expect it to be it's not nice but it's no. not like his leg explodes or anything no and then yeah uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Julie Benoche's yeah. uh, character. What's her name again? Michelle. Yeah, then Michelle, who we'll get to know later, but we already know her because she's Julia Benoche. Julia Benoche. A young Julia Benoche mm-hmm. in her mid-twenties. She sees him on the ground for a few seconds and looks at him, and then a bus full of mental homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> that's God a fun damn. bus. That <laughs> is, that's like a Barcelona night bus. Oh, God damn, yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> it, it, that is what it's like. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. You're people right. swinging <laughs> off the bars yeah, yeah. and fucking like Everyone pissing hammered. in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just, hammered or mentally so, ill. So much care. Yeah, yeah, and then a- so uh, that's like a police bus at first i thought they were just like some you know i thought it was just like a random night bus going through the city and i was like oh no they're police officers mm. taking them back to like the kind of overnight like homeless shelter type thing uh where again it looks like uh, that's an extremely grim as you said earlier when you were talking before you said those must be real people there's yeah. no way it could that you you no you, you don't can't get, you can't get actors to do that there's like people in their late 60s early 70s that are homeless clearly homeless with like mental or you know other so, problems like lo- so many um you shot from behind like just naked lads at the bottom of showers yeah and you look at the like the the tone of their skin is just like yeah oh, like wow, liver that's spots and like, all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah. stuff it's not nice um which is ju- like initially i'm watching it and i'm there going just because based on like the likes of diva and subway i'm like this is cine de look this is horrible mm, cine de bad look uh, yeah it reminds me a bit of uh scarecrow or something scarecrow scarecrow oh yeah the one with right. al pacino yeah, 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 yeah. and gene hackman it has that look to these i mean it's you know 20 years later almost but still it's i don't know it's it's the kind of thing i expect to see like the the prison scenes from that uh so next we meet hans on the bridge after alex gets out of his overnight prison stay he goes back to pont neuf and he we are introduced to hans Hans is a, a kind of older, wiser homeless man who gives Alex downers frequently. He's got little vials of some kind of sleeping drug type mm-hmm. thing, which uh, Alex takes to kind of go to sleep and overcome whatever horrible trauma he has. We're also introduced to Michelle, who's sleeping on the bridge. And who Hans wants nothing to do with. Right. Hans, which we, which maybe that's going to come back into play later on in the film. And we'll Mm. get some explanation as to why. But yeah, Michelle, Juliette Binoche looks rough, but not as rough as a homeless lady might. No. Is she missing? Later in the movie, she does. Yeah, she gets way rougher later Mm. on. But like at first, you're like, eh, she's still, I still would. Uh, she's she's not missing an eye. She has an eye patch. Yes. 
and she's losing her sight basically, and she's not in a good place. She's an artist. She's a painter. Yes. Alex and- finds that she's already painted a picture of him, but then she convinces him to let her paint him again down by the side of the river. Yeah. And um, immediately, whatever it is about Denis Levant's acting, but immediately he has designs. You can kind of tell. It made me think of, if you ever watched the TV show, The Walking Dead? No. Well, in The Walking I'm Dead, a single episode. If it. anybody uh, like uh, gets with somebody else, like voluntarily, not like would probably be happening if The Walking Dead <laughs> happened. Um, but it's uh, a fun thought. They are. Um, but uh, yeah, if um, if anybody you know gets some ass, immediately it's like they've run into their soulmate. And uh, you know, you watching The Walking Dead, and you, you know, you you could attack it and go. Um, Oh, they've known each other five minutes and they're madly in love because they had sex one time. And it's like, ah, no, in a post-apocalyptic setting, if you manage to get any piece of ass, hold on to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, absolutely. You're just clinging to someone who's not a zombie, I assume. Exactly. And I kind of got the vibe of that immediately from the way Denis Levon was looking at Michelle. She's a homeless lady who's not absolutely horrid yet. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like, you know, the one teacher in your secondary school who's not an old lady that's exactly how i think about (laughs) well hans makes a good point later on he tells her like this is not a life for a woman this is good for me and alex Mm. but like he says flat out to her he states directly he says like you'll get raped beaten murdered potentially Mm. like this is living on the streets is no it's no life for a lady yeah 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 like myself it's not it's not for me that's it. Hans is like the gr- is the grim reality in the story. Yes, and then the other two go off and live in a fantasy world. Yes, and that uh, you we see how that plays out. Alex ends up going to Michelle's studio. He finds out that Michelle is an artist who he, he finds out that she lives in a a, a nice suburb to the west of yeah, the, this of is the, the city first center. Of his, um, this is the first of his uh, gaslighting behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. Like, these are the kind of things nowadays where you're like, oh, fuck, you know, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not he good. He breaks into uh, her studio and he steals her mail and reads it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's like doing all kinds of uh, sneaky stuff. But, you know, he's he can climb trees and jump out of windows like a monkey. So it's fine. Then later on, we get to see Alex doing his fire breathing. As you mentioned before, he's an incredible athlete. He's jumping around all over the place, breathing fire. But uh, Michelle is extremely sensitive to that, and she has a kind of panic attack. She does not respond well. This is the okay. This is the kind of moment where it really does start to go all silly to look because okay, if you just put a pause on it in your thoughts, you're like, okay, we've got this film about these two athletic young people living on a bridge beside this groggy old man with a beard just kind of you know living in the moment uh, essentially and you like on one side you could think oh no no i mean it's a film about homelessness but then no just peel that away and just it's a film about like romanticizing homelessness and it is pure style over substance but mm-hmm. at that point like i mean you get more visual cues for that like you know there's a, a beautiful shot of all these lights turning on in the buildings there's a, uh, there's plenty of shots like that it just yeah. it does generally does look great but even if you just think about the meat that makes the story you're like ah it's totally superficial Mm -hmm. it's just a big romantic frolic like Mm -hmm. we see well we saw earlier in michelle's studio and what michelle was talking about that she had a muse who was a cellist by the name of julian julian 
And she is walking on the metro, like uh, walking on one of those kind of moving, horizontal moving escalator mm -hmm. things. What the hell are they called? A walkway, called. <laughs> a moving walkway thing. And uh, Alex is following her. This is Alex in full creep mode, yes. following her through the Paris subway. She hears some cello music and runs. She turns around and starts running towards it. Alex chases after her, gets in front of her, finds the cellist, pulls out a knife, threatens to snap the cords and tells him to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, this is the this is why it He's has like, <laughs> shocking behavior. This is why it has to be style over substance. Because if you were to give any substance to this kind of thing, you're like, what are we supposed to? Are we rooting <laughs> for this creep? Yeah, this is the villain. Yes, he's. Uh, he, that's this. This is just the start of his uh, his problematic behavior. So, uh, however, Michelle does see that. Uh, getting onto the departing metro train is Julian with his cello. Now, what the hell happens here, okay? So she gets on... I think she falls asleep. Ah, uh, because... So what we see is that she is on the... She's on the metro. She arrives at Julian's house. She pulls out a gun and puts it up to the spy hole on the door. She starts talking to him, telling him that they need to see each other, etc., etc. When he comes up to the door, she pulls the trigger and blows him away. Yeah, I think he's. I think that's a dream. Of well, I mean, she gets. But we have. We we hadn't mentioned though. They have already set up the gun at this point. We know there's a gun. Ah, uh, okay. So she has a gun because her dad is a colonel in Something the French like army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Michelle has a gun, but. Basically, at this point, she runs back to the bridge and gets drunk with Alex. She asks Alex how many bullets there are in the gun, and he says there's 15. There's a full clip. So she's like, oh, I haven't fired any bullets. So we just are left to assume. But it's a very strange dream sequence because it's not played as a dream sequence no, at all. No, it's not. It's, it's played shocking as, in, the, yeah. in the film. Like when it she, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she pulls the trigger, you're like, what the I fuck? I was like, what? It's... She's just murdered a guy? Yeah, this is this type of movie? This is crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then the sequence that immediately follows that is has got to be it's the centerpiece yeah, this, of the film. Yeah, this is where it all happens. So they've got they've got fifteen good bullets in the gun. Michelle tells Alex, "We'll fire seven each, and we'll keep one for luck." And the fireworks for Bastille Day. So what's that? The fourteenth of July or something? Yes. They're going off in the background. They're dancing on the bridge to music uh, appropriate to nineteen ninety one. Well, yeah, it's interesting as well, because the idea is that they're getting different wafts of music from different parts of the city. Right. So it's like changing like a radio dial almost. And that mm -hmm. was actually, and then it goes to a classical as well. Mm -hmm. And that's apparently a big uh, hallmark of the Cine de Luc is like mm. the marrying of high and low culture. Then you've got just all sorts of little visual tricks that... You mightn't even notice unless you look. Like, there's one scene where they they look like little children next to the yeah, giant wine bottle. Which yeah, is that was class. That's just at that point after they get drunk on the bridge. They're doing kind of annoying actor laughing, though. At that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are, yeah they're yeah. doing like over the top French <laughs> actor laughing while they're, they're shrunken. And then you've got another one where they're on the horse statue. Yes, firing the gun. And then. Of course, they steal a police boat. This is the next scene, yeah. yeah. I think this was maybe my favorite part. Oh, it's amazing. But they, they bonk, some, bonk some guy over the head and mm. steal his boat. 
and go water skiing. And Michelle water skis while Alex pilots a, a boat through fireworks and water falling down off of the bridges on the sand. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a music video without a pop song attached yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You're amazing. watching this going like, all right, I get how this film was barely made because i mean that's just it's just insanity that well, it is. seems yeah, worth like, it normally like people like because that must have been very difficult to film um you got you got so much stars you need to align to get that yeah. sequence right and normally it's, it's people beautiful. save that for something that's fucking guaranteed to make some money you know mm-hmm. did this film make money uh it was something like the 39th most popular film in france of the year okay. so i'm gonna say no I don't think it was particularly successful. I don't think it would have made its money back, but it was uh, it was quite well received. It was the thirty fourth highest earning film of nineteen ninety one. It made eight hundred and sixty seven thousand one hundred and ninety seven. Ooh, not no way! Sorry, that's the number of uh, cinema admissions. So just under a million people went to the cinema to see it, but that was only the thirty fourth highest earning film of nineteen ninety one. Not good enough, Carax. I think, yeah. I mean, I I can see why that. I can see why people would not go and see this. I get it. It's like a a French art film, but it is a good film. It's a great film. So next, Michelle um, compels Alex to throw the gun away, and instead he takes off one of his shoes and chucks it into the water and decides to keep that gun. I wonder if that will come back into play later on. More gaslighting. Yeah, <laughs> he's all over the fucking shop. Unreal. Uh, next, we've got Hans confiding in Michelle. <laughs> it must be said, I don't know, do, do, oh, do we... Oh, no, 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 yeah. Sorry, what you, you say? continue that. Yeah, I was just going to say, so the this next scene is where Hans and Michelle finally sit down and talk, and we're like, hey, Hans is not such a bad guy after all, because up until this point, he spent the entire time saying to Alex, yo, get rid of this bitch, but in a German voice. And then he explains why. He explains why, because his uh, daughter died... And his wife went way off the rails and basically drank herself to death and he threw her body into the river. Another another fine example of a man. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are great. They're good guys all around. Yeah, but that like that sequence which you mentioned already earlier where he says what happens to women on the streets, that's yeah. um, just, I don't know, that was just an inter- a really interesting piece of dialogue because it's so yeah. frank and it's correct as well. Yes. You know what I mean? You can have your fantasy world if you like, but it's yeah. like, no, you'll get raped, your period yeah. stop. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that's another point he says. that. I mean, she's only like in her mid-twenties, but she's already starting to look extremely rough. Uh, so at this point, Alex and Michelle get together. They have sex, finally. You're- for the next hour, it's just full penetration for an hour. That's all, just that. This is it, yeah. Oh, well, we, there's one other thing we learned about Hans, uh, which is that he was a security guard in a former life. Yeah, he's got, he's all... got keys to all the buildings in the city for but some But then reason. you also learn one other piece of information about um, Michelle, which is that she's an artist losing her sight. Yes. Which makes Alex's actions even more scummy. <laughs> 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 just taking advantage of a blind homeless lady. Just because he likes her. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, and she r- desperately wants to see this painting one last time. Yeah. And at this point, they start their grifting scheme. They take some of the downers, they steal some of Hans's downers, and then use it to roofy guys. Yeah, they, they do some Cosby action uh, around the cafes of Paris in a very sort of fun one of those kind of fun montage where you hear the yeah, is, yeah. sound of yeah. flipping the lid on the on the on the downer tube 
and then them like drugging people and stealing their cash. And once they've got a big boatload of cash, they decide to go off to the beach. Ah, this with is... Alex's hard ass dick. What's going? I just want to say this, right? <laughs> this That's not mad. real. That's not that can't no, be no real. No, it's no, not real. There's no way. They're running. They're in kind there's of a, silhouette. He's got a prosthetic on. They're or in silhouette, and Denny Levant she must be an extremely proud man. He's <laughs> he's running. I I don't there's know no how to say right. this in a in a way that is is not. It is not in poor taste. I've already said hard ass dick, so I suppose I could just maintain. I could go down that road again. He has the most ridiculous erection. <laughs> it looks like he's got a policeman's truncheon between oh, his my, legs. It, it's massive, like he's wearing some kind but of like, strap right, on. You or know something. why? He liked it, like it was just to make it visible at all. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it had to be massive. If it was going <laughs> to survive into silhouette, but consequently, but it, 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 it completely overshadows everything else. All the tenderness of the scene yeah. and everything. It's just a big dropping <laughs> Which Julian Binoche is also a dangerous weapon. Yeah. As she runs, which would fucking hurt. I don't care how big your cock is. Like. No, they wouldn't hurt that thing. That thing is like... <laughs> that thing would hurt you. That thing has its own gravity. <laughs> it's unreal. It's, it's unreal. It's impossible. Like, I don't care how boring and pretentious and French you are. I guarantee you every audience that has ever seen that cackled at that scene. If that was real... It's hilarious. Like. People would... Just just spontaneously drop to their knees like at the end of St. Maud and start worshipping. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. real. Oh my god, that's so funny, that scene. Yeah, that's the highlight of the film for me, was <laughs> Alex's hard-ass dick. Because as well, it's kind of a thing like when it, if you first see them running and you're like, hang on, is that? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, there, it's something. No, that's what it is. That is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, as well, I have to say, it's hard enough, and I can't tell you how I know this, but it's hard enough running with an erection. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he does an, an admirable job of that. He does. Whatever's going on between his legs, he certainly manages to corral it. And I don't know, he can have someone's eye out with that. It's, that's health and safety. <laughs> that's how he broke his leg. He tripped over his own cock. It's massive willy. <laughs> he, he was... Pierced, pierced. I've pierced my foot on my cock. I kind of. I mean, uh, that, it's it's like it. Look, it must have been in his rider or something like that. Yeah. Maybe Julia Panache was a bit miffed because you can't see her boobs flopping around yeah. at all. You just see the dick flopping. Yeah, her boobs are tiny in comparison. There's no, there's no comparison whatsoever. So anyway, they end up back on the bridge. Alex then sang Gaslight gas Part 7. Yeah. He, uh, he, they have a box of cash from all the people that they've robbed, and he places it just behind Michelle while she's dancing around like a lunatic, as she is. And she accidentally knocks it into the River Seine, and they, she is less than and impressed with herself. And he does that basically to make sure she stays yes, there with him. Yes, because otherwise she's going to, you know, go away and do something else or not to live with him on mm. this shitty bridge. And at this point then she gets a she gets proper attached to him and there's all sorts of declarations of love mm. as though and like you know we'll grow old together and all this shit. But also even at that point you do get the sense that losing the money has kind of caused her to just to give up any hope on anything which is that's her being homeless is she's just given up hope on right. life and that's yes. why she's there. Yes. Um, and at she's, that point she when she finally she still has something. She still she shouldn't be hopeless. No. And at that point then, kind of, 
yeah, Alex has recruited her into his cult of hopelessness. Now that I'm thinking about this more and more, it just gets worse because the next yes. scene is uh, Hans, who you said has got keys to the to all the buildings, takes Michelle to the art gallery to go and see the picture that she wants to see. And? At the same time, Alex is kind of oh, yeah. on the bridge going like, yo, where is she, where is she at? And he takes a bottle... He stabs, he mutilates himself. We mm. see the results afterwards. And then what exactly happens between Michelle and Hans? Is this I just think like, they have sex. Do you think they have sex? Yeah. I think it's, I don't think it, I don't think so. I think what happens is because he previously, Hans has said that Michelle reminds him of his dead wife. Mm. That she looks similar, but while they're so the hands has taken michelle into this art gallery he she's up on his shoulders looking at a piece of art and then he, he brings her down and takes off her horrible kind of Mikey jacket coat, thing yeah, that yeah. she's wearing and then embraces her but i took it more as like i didn't think that was necessarily that they were having sex i thought they were just like he was just craving some sort of contact like human into human contact and trying to reminisce or trying to re, re- reconnect with emotions yeah, but they're, they're dead french wife. as well that's true they probably anal then <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it i completely yes. in france <laughs> is, well, you've you've completely won me around on that one that's uh, true Plus, as well, style over substance. They're going to have yes. sex in front of the painting. That's it. That makes sense. Um, and then, uh, so Alex has, like, mutilated himself just because Michelle left for five for the minutes. For yeah. He's, like, all stabbed himself up. And then I, this made me feel <laughs> this made me feel really bad because she comes back and, like, he is, like, hiding his face and refusing to communicate. It just made me reflect on my my own sort of past behavior. I haven't stabbed myself with pieces of glass, but I think I've been less communicative than I could. I try not to gaslight that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I'm, I, you know, I hope I haven't gaslit as much as Alex. I'm not good at it. Whenever I decide I'm going to give the silent treatment, I get bored like two minutes in. That's fair. I can't do it. I'm not good at holding grudges either. No. Which I've been told is an admirable quality. I think but it's so. annoying for me. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you start a grudge with full intention of holding it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So next up, hands, wonders. Uh, this is just a scene that's it's barely touched upon. It's very, oh, very it's brief. Really, it's, I think it's really well done that. Hans is, but is it an accident or is it suicide? Who knows? Hans stumbles down some steps at the side of the river, falls in and that's it. One kind of a slow burn shot as well. Nowhere near as frenetic as the rest of the movie has been. You're just watching Hans go down these steps. And then trips up. It's like watching a dog go alone to die somewhere kind of thing. It's yeah, yeah. He was done. So maybe he did have sex with her or maybe he, that human contact was all he needed to complete his mission. The next, we have a bit of a time jump because uh, Alex is not a skinhead anymore. He's got oh, some yeah, hair. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'd say this about Denny Levant should never grow his hair. No, agreed. By the end of the film, he's has 1991 hair. Yes. And that is something that we should Looks like he could be a about. member of the Blue Tones. Yeah, he definitely looks, he's got some kind of weird indie rock hair and it's not good. He looks much better as a skinhead. So this is uh, this is when the gaslighting steps up into dangerous territory yes. uh, at this point because Alex notices that there's the most implausible poster ever, like a poster that directly says, 
We're looking for this woman, Michelle, because it turns out that the eye yeah, thing yeah, is yeah, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's actually surgery. They put it on the yeah. poster like. You know that Michelle lady, that eye thing she has? Well, there's actually a treatment yeah, for that. Yeah, You're like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. You don't just say, like, missing woman. Yeah, 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 no, totally. You just got her life story on the poster. That is a, a mad bit of exp- exposition <laughs> there, all right, yeah. I don't think that was necessary, but fair play. But it's just completely implausible. So Alex kind of, they, there's a poster up in the metro, and then he steers her away from it. But then he goes back in and finds that these posts, again, implausibly, these posters are absolutely everywhere. This feels like style over substance. Yeah, it is. And so Alex is tearing them down. And then he finds that there is a man who is putting the posters up, gluing them up around the place. Alex sets fire to the van uh, containing the posters. At the same time, he manages to set fire to the man who's putting the posters up. Mm-hmm. As a young boy with a dog watches on, this man like burns to death. Alex has killed a man for no reason. The okay. French way. Well, he's killed a man for homeless ass. For, for love, yeah. yeah. And anyway, it turns out it was all meaningless. There's, there's a nice shot where he burns all the posters he, in, in, he, the, in, the, in the subway tunnel. In the subway, tunnel. yeah, that's yeah. nice. That's a nice shot. But it turns out... Michelle, back on the bridge, has a radio, and on the radio she hears, again, completely implausibly, that, uh, you know, they were looking for Michelle, there's a cure for your eyes. And she's like, what? Yeah. Um, And honestly, what happened, just what happens next, I think that would have been a great way to end the movie. Just with her leaving? And particularly with the message she leaves for Alex, because it's so cold, and it's like... It's just, it kind of, because here's the thing with how romantic the film is. We're, we're, we're of the um, omniscient perspective and we know it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. We know that he's a fucking gaslight, crazy fucking lunatic, mm-hmm. kind of holding her hostage in this weird way. And the message that she leaves him, I thought, when, when I first saw that, I was like, fucking yes, brilliant. Because the second she did learn that she could get her eyesight back, she was like, oh, well, fuck this shit, then I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, that's, that's kind of just, you know, pulls the brakes on the whole uh, style over substance thing and gr- grinds us back to reality. And I thought that was just a really interesting, shocking left turn of, of events. Right. Just like that. He, so what happens is, yeah, he wakes up then one morning and she's written on the bridge, uh, hey, Alex, I never loved you. Um, bye-bye. She, she drugs them with some of the downers mm. that they were using to Cosby people. She gives him that. And then, yeah, when he wakes up, he's like, oh, shit, she's gone. And his response is to take that lucky bullet in the gun and shoot himself in the hand, because why not? And then after he wakes up with his hand bandaged, the police, it turns out, are looking for him for the man that he manslaughtered. Then they they beat him <laughs> they with a beat phone book. with phone books. That's old school. Yeah, yeah, it is. That is yeah. a 1991 police beating, like a kind of lion police beating. Okay, so what follows then? What do you think of it? Uh, we can run through it first, actually. So yeah, yeah. he's sentenced to three years in prison for man's laughter, and <laughs> he we see him like he's kind of he's no longer an addict. He's got that under control. And she goes to visit him in prison. She looks fine. She looks like Juliette Binoche. Give her a Juliette Binoche. She's in her mid-twenties. She's no longer homeless. She's cleaned herself up quite nicely. He's reticent to talk to her. 
he's he's like, how dare you? How dare you survive my gaslighting campaign? I set a man on fire to try to ensure that I was still with you, and you yeah. left. You leave. You left me. You cow. I th- like. I th- I almost thought like her going to see him in prison was kind of like you know when um, Gina. What's her name? Carano. From <laughs> Gerald's Game. Uh, oh, yeah. What the hell's her name? When she goes to see the killer at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, well, she goes... She, I mean, yeah, okay, she goes to the court case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To Spoilers kinda, for Gerald's Game. To um, just take the power away from him. Right. Uh, so you thought she was going to go and see him to just be like... Fuck, oh, fuck you, this. motherfucker. Fuck, <laughs> fuck this big dick diddy idiot. Carla Gugino, she's That's called. It. Yeah. But no, that that's not what was happening. No, she is like into him. But so I understood this. She, at some point later, we mm. see her letting herself into the surgeon's office. Yeah, she's surgeon- with the doctor. She's with, she's like married maybe to the doctor. Who fixed her eyes, yeah. That's how I interpreted yeah, it. Because yeah, sure. her cat, this cat that we've seen Louisiana. throughout the film called Louisiana is in the office. And... She agrees to when she's in prison, when she visits Alex in prison, she tells him like, yo, let's meet up and we can bone with your big cock up on the bridge. And so it's winter time, it's snowing, and which is, again, it's not very sensible, but they're not very sensible people. I think we've established this. They agree to meet on the bridge. Uh, yeah. And then they're, you know, when they're crossing the road? Yeah. You think they're going to get run over? <laughs> I was just like, I was thinking like, oh, don't end it like that. But at the same time, watching them cross that fucking road is stressful. If you watch the video to Uncle's Rabbit in your headlights, yeah, you'll notice that Denny Levant can be killed by cars. Spoilers for a music video from 1997. No. So they've kind of, so they've reconnected. They've, I mean, she's interested. She's obviously experienced his massive penis on the beach. And she's, she seems game. She's up for that. But she's hinting that she she seems like she wants to get with him, but she has some other responsibilities, which yeah, we yeah. can assume is the fact that she's with the doctor. And she uh, says she wants to leave, and Mr. Gaslight is having none of that. <laughs> he's not... That, that does not fit with old Alex's plan whatsoever. But he's got he's got a cunning solution to that. Yeah, he he gives her a hug and jumps into the river. As you do. God damn. And then they do this odd comic sequence where he pops up first and goes, Michelle, and then goes down again. Yeah. And then she pops up and goes, Alex. Yeah. Which and is then odd. it feels a bit Wes Anderson-y towards the end here because yeah. they're picked up by a couple on a sand barge. They're an old an elderly couple who say that they're making their last trip. Mm. taking sand up the river out to the Atlantic Ocean. And Alex and Michelle are on the boat and they start dicking around, singing their peanut song. Cacoet. And then they go up the front and do a Titanic. They do a Titanic, pre-Titanic Titanic. They do a King of the World, which makes me think, who was the first person to do I'm a King of the, I'm the King of the World? Well, it was Denny Levant. Clearly. Um. Yeah, I I like did not like the ending, but then again, I don't know how you could have satisfactorily ending the movie. I suppose I would have probably found it, found it more satisfying if it was a bit of a bummer. Well, but if if the Julian Assange, if the Julian shooting in the head didn't occur, 
Yeah. Is there a potential that they drowned in the river at the end and didn't actually get on the boat? Because the fact that it's an, a weird elderly couple taking their final trip up the river with oh, some sand. Oh, yeah. I didn't, that didn't, didn't I, even that occur That didn't to occur me. to me until right now because well, I, I thought you were going to suggest that just there. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I think there, there's something to that, what you're saying, actually. I mean, Denny Levant's character. it's so bizarre, the yeah. fucking sand barge. And Alex is such a fucking destructive force. Like, he's already killed a guy. He's gaslit this lady for the entire film for his evil plans. And then he's just grabbed her when she tries to leave and fucking hurled them both into into the River Seine in what is clearly, like, December, January. It's winter. It's snowing. The real and I think films and they don't come to the surface. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're 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 under the water quite a, for seemingly I mean, quite a long time. I think one thing that Hollywood and films in general are guilty of is they don't show the real effects of people falling into cold water. Yes, because you would die way way quicker than anyone ever does in mm. films. Like I, because I always imagine I'm kind of like ah, if I fell off a boat, I'd be fine. But the reality is, in like in a minute, I would be dead. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you know who would be fine? Who? Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, maybe. Maybe also Alex, because of his. Yeah, yeah. Uses penis as a like motor, <laughs> a motorboat. He can, use, he can power himself to fucking Jamaica. I think he would just. I think he would just put his penis in a dolphin's blowhole and use yeah. that as some kind of a driving device. Probably. Yeah. That's also good. And that's it. That's the end of the film. They, uh,. They all live happily ever after. They say "fuck you, Paris." That's their kind of their thoughts as they're leaving. She's like, "Eat a bag of Alex's dicks." Yeah, which Paris. is uh, odd as well. That that's because the the film seems to like Paris. Yeah, it's actually. like ah, we're all set. It's, Paris is beautiful. It's great. And then they're like, ah, actually no. Uh, yeah, but despite all these, like I suppose there you go. It just goes to show that Cine de Look as a concept works. Because all my issues with it are completely substance-based, and all the stuff I enjoyed about it was pure aesthetics. Yes. Yeah, the visual elements are great. As we said, the Bastille Day and the water skiing, all of that the is amazing. The burning posters, and there's so yeah. many nice shots in it yes. that you can overlook, even though it feels weird to do so, what a weird gaslighting homeless creep our main <laughs> character is. But then he he's 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 got form for that from what we've already seen, because... Uh, in Claire Denis' Beau Travail, he basically... Oh, yeah, he gaslights he, he, a poor he, fucker into the he, desert and he kills tries him. To, he tries to kill a random subordinate. Like, he, he kills... or He attempts to kill one of his officers just because he doesn't like him. Mm. Or because he fancies him or something. It's it unclear. seems to be that he fancies yeah, him. Yeah, it's like kind of unresolved homoerotic tension, so... Oh, but yeah, what a great film. I will definitely watch more of Leos. I'm disappointed that I never got to check out more of Leos Carrick's work this week. Yeah, there's the thing. is like, So I just li- listed off these issues that I would have with it. But like, the thing is, they're fine at the end of the day because he's just an, he's an interesting filmmaker, a cre- clearly a passionate creative force. You know what I mean? Yes. Anybody who slogged it out to get this made like had a vision for it. You know yeah. what I mean? And you can tell it's in every frame of it. Mm-hmm. So... And, like, given how long it takes him to get another film made, I doubt his other films have any less integrity to them, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I'm interested to watch more, certainly. I'm going to take on Holy Motors first. I was trying to find time to watch it all week, like, but it's just, you know, been busy. Yas. Yas. All well, right, fucker. So, the toss for next time round, we're, it's... 
Now you've just got married, so you're going to be away on your honeymoon. I might try to find、uh, a willing substitute to take your place, but I think you should toss. We should toss the coin and find what film whoever this person is is going to be forced to watch. Well, so the criteria. The criteria is a film beginning with beginning with the letter F, which is fairly simple. Indeed, we've got lots of. I, I obviously chose Fast and the Furious. Did you? No. All right. <laughs> I did not. What What did you choose? You go first. I chose. I mean, if it does indeed, like like even if you get a co-host, I'm going to watch the movie. Fair play. I am、um, send a voice note and listen along. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you can just send a voice note. And I'm going to break a promise I made to myself. And watch a John Waters movie, 1974's black crime comedy dedicated to、uh, Tex Manson from the Manson family,、um, Female Trouble. Okay, Female Trouble. We've all been there. And you, sir? I、uh, I went for something far more recent. I guarantee that you've watched it. The reason I chose it, number one, because I heard it's good, and I've been planning to watch it since it came out a few years ago, and because it opens up the door to potentially me watching. Another film that I've been meaning to watch and that we've discussed at least a couple of times on the podcast. So the film that I went for is First Reformed. Oh right, I haven't seen it, but I do、ah, want to. Yeah, the 2017 Paul Schrader film,、mm. and the film that I would watch alongside the Paul Schrader film that we've discussed a couple of times. Trying to remember Japanese. Oh, Mishima Life in、yeah. Four Chapters. Yeah, I'd be like,、mm-hmm. hey, I'll just go back and watch Mishima as well because it would be like, hey, it's Paul Schrader week.、Oh, Although I didn't manage to watch any Leos Carax films, so it's the chances of me watching Mishima are not great. I've had a copy of Mishima for the longest time. Well, this would be a good way to force. I heard someone talking about it on a podcast、uh, not that long ago, and it sounded. And I've read. I read up on the true story. So have you ever?、Um, yeah, the true story is fascinating. Have、yeah. you ever listened to the score? No. Oh, the score is just amazing. Okay, but that's、Philip、not、Glass. the film. No, it's anyway, because it's first reformed versus female trouble. Here's the coin of which I'm definitely going to. Oh, you have to toss this time. I, yeah, so I want you to to look、oh. at it so you can see. You can inspect the coin and tell me tell me what's on both sides of this. I'll take Cervantes. It's Cervantes versus ten. <laughs> These are the two options. You've gone Cervantes. You've already called it. Let's see if I can do this with one hand while you, holding you a microphone.、Cannot. Okay, I'm going to put the microphone down. Fuck! It's Cervantes. Boo! Female trouble. Here we go. Sorry, Mishima. Bollocks. And first reformed. Damn. Well, I'm never watching old first reformed. It's done. I can't believe we're going to watch a gross John Waters movie. Now this one doesn't have anyone eating shit, does it? Not to my knowledge. Great. That's pink flamingos. Eyes pink flamingos. But it does have the star、either. of pink flamingos, divine. Divine, ah, divine. What a、Indeed. creature! What yeah, a yeah, creature. yeah. So that means you get criteria. <laughs> Now I did you warn you. Something big and weird. I did warn you earlier that this was going to be different. So the criteria for next time is、uh, a Bollywood film. Oh wow. I think I may have never watched a Bollywood film. I've never, film. Watched, I've a never watched a Bollywood film, but when you go to IMDb, there are always Bollywood films up near the top of the top 200, around the top 250, or really highly rated. And every time I look at them, I'm like, "Well, that obviously doesn't count." Yeah, <laughs> this <laughs> is a, delete that. So I'm trying like, to overcome my racism here. This is so yeah, yeah. This is such a cultural blind spot for me. Yes, but I feel cultural blind spot is. 
too kind a term because I, like you, actively go, well, that's just silly yeah, that shit. Doesn't, that doesn't count. That <laughs> that's doesn't. just a load of bollocks. But, but I have, I've recently noticed a couple of films where I was like, oh, that actually does sound interesting. And it's a shame that I've never been able to, like, it's a, we're talking about a massive culture that I've just kind of gone like, eh, well, uh, that, that doesn't count. silly nonsense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Me so, too. This is a real option to... This is a, the opportunity to actually learn something this for once. This is what we should be doing this with our categories. This is 100% what we should be doing. And I had to preface this by saying, I, I'm so sorry, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're from India and you're listening to this right now, I apologize yeah, sorry profusely about that. because like... Also, we're, we're, I mean, we do, we'll, we'll get some... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out and see if anyone has any good ideas for this one. Well, maybe if you... Like, okay, it has to be said... I mean, you're talking about movies that are always minimum two and a half hours. Oh, God. Uh, There's got to be a 90-minute Bollywood film. Even the most serious ones break out into song and dance. I don't know. I think that could be a stereotype. I don't know if that's 100% true these days. Like, apparently the granddaddy of them all is this big crime movie, uh, which, again, yeah, it's close to three hours long. And it's like, uh, yeah, again, I've seen sequences from that in the story of film. He did an episode about Bollywood. And, yeah... They'll have like a serious kind of almost heat level serious action sequence. And then all of a sudden, this guy's driving in a car with his best friend singing about why he's his best friend. Oh, man, I already regret this. Yeah, there we go. Well, I'm going to track down the name of that film and that's the one. Well, we'll maybe it's a big, it could be a big kind of Leos Carax thing. You know, he likes a dark sing along. So, yeah, yeah, indeed. Oh, Danette. So, who all knows? right, well, that that's was fucking it. fun. Yeah, that will be, that will be fun. I will. Hopefully have a, a co-host in place. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about female trouble. I'm sure that person's going to be delighted yeah. to watch a 1974 John Waters film. Yes, Queen. Yes. All right, peace out. Bye. Enjoy your honeymoon. All right, good luck. Bye. Bye.